This is Carol Foster of 2 Timothy 2.15 Resources, and I am so excited that you're going to join me today as we study God's Word. The response new Messianic believers give when asked why they initially visited a Messianic congregation is, we knew there had to be more. As we study together, we will begin to see that yes, indeed, there has to be more. For additional study aids to assist you in studying along with us, go to our website, sectim.org. I'm so glad that you could join us today. I've got my husband, Doug, with me today, and thank you for joining me as we discuss our next passage. Thank you. It's nice to be here. When we last left the Israelites, they had fled Egypt and had been able to take all of their livestock with them. We also found that there were a multitude of other ethnicities that went with them that had converted to Israel's God and had wanted to live their life with them. Yes, and it's very interesting because they were they left in a hurry. So we know that even though they had accepted Israel's God, they didn't have time to go through all the rituals to become Jewish. So they were still a separate people. Multiple uh, ethnicities. Multiple ethnicities. And Moshe referred to them as multiple ethnicities at this point. Actually, the word used for uh, a multitude of people does mean a multiple ethnicity. We find also that that was a large group of people, even though they weren't numbered, because we saw that their herds were very large in number. It makes you think that there was almost more of them than there was of the Israelites. And we determined that there was 1,800,000 Israelites. Yes, and there's some statistics that say that some people believe, and there's no no thing to really uh, support this, but that it was only about 20% of the Israelites that actually left. Isn't that interesting? After even seeing all the plagues that were brought about upon the land of Egypt by Yahweh, and the fact that the Israelites had not been um, part of any of the plagues, they didn't receive any of the... uh, Gnats, the flies, the lice, the hail, the frogs, nothing affected the Israelites. And that's probably one of the reasons they didn't want to leave. You've got to realize they had been in that, in that country for 420 years. That was their home. That was where their friends, their family, that's the territory that they knew. That's the territory they were familiar with. They knew how to survive in that country. Now, getting up and moving, no matter who you are, is always a hard task. You've got to give up a lot. And they didn't know where they were going. And they didn't know where they were going. And like you said, the plagues didn't affect them. So, did they overlook them? Now, that's an interesting question. Um, In today's world, I think that we would probably be more apt to pick up our bags and leave. That's probably true. But today's society is a lot more prone to moving. That is absolutely true. Now, as we saw that they met in Sukkoth, that was a rather, (coughs) excuse me, that was a crossroads, a large crossroads that uh, was traveled by multiple groups, uh, traders, travelers, etc. So this was a common gathering place 
that this kind of a large multitude could possibly all recognize and go to. But can you imagine the people of Sukkoth when these vast numbers descended upon them? That's got to be an, <laughs> a very frightening sight. When you have over a million people coming into your town, uh, and those towns were not all that large at that time. Well, it wasn't only people, like we said before, it was their flocks and herds as well. Absolutely. I mean, that's just got to be an overwhelming sight. And I'm sure that Sukkoth also was aware of the plagues that had befallen, because it was still within the Egyptian borders. Oh, absolutely. They probably went through them just like everybody else. And probably some of the mixed multitude was from Sukkoth. Well, and we find out, too, as we go further into our chapter, chapter 13, that as they left Egypt, God did not allow them to go out to leave Egypt, that he kept them within their borders at this time because they would have gone into the land of the Philistines. And the armies, they were these were farmers. These were craftsmen. They had never held a sword had never held a shield, had no knowledge of any kind of fighting tactics or ways, and they just were not up, even with their vast numbers, up to fighting the Philistines, who were a warrior tribe. Yes, and whenever you go up against a warrior and you see that they know what they're doing, it's got to be intimidating, especially if you have no training. Well, that's surprising because Yahweh actually said to Moshe, don't go that way because these people might get afraid and turn back and go back to Egypt. Yes. Little did they know where he was leading them. Absolutely. And, of course, we know that the next stop was the Red Sea or the Sea of Seth. It really wasn't a sea. It was a sea of reeds. And so they call it the Sea of Seth. But although it was deep and was formidable to cross, Oh, absolutely formidable. There's a lot of speculation as to exactly where that was. But we know that there is a lot of evidence that's been shown lately of chariots being found at the bottom. And uh, it's a very good sign that they know what, where it finally happened. I found it also very interesting that we always assume that the pillar of... of uh, smoke and the clouds by day that was given to them more after they were in the land or on their way through the land. But we actually find that it was given to them before they even crossed the Sea of Seth. Yeah, that's that's the way they that Yahweh kept the Egyptians away from them at first. He put the pillar of fire between them and the Egyptians so the Egyptians could not approach. Well, and, you know, as we read the story of the um, parting of the Red Sea, I think most people assume that it was a Charlton Heston type of thing, which it really was not. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that, that dramatic in uh, the walls coming up on either side to allow them to pass. But we do know that as the chariots were approaching, because Pharaoh had a hardening of his heart that was given to him by Yahweh. You know, Pharaoh had gotten to a certain point where he had a choice. 
he, we've read that he hardened his heart in some instances. And in other instances, we read that Yahweh hardened his heart. That's very true. The way it leads up to it, he ultimately had to pay for the enslavement of the, of the Israelites. And the way that God showed him, or showed the nations actually, what happens to people who come against his people was very apparent when they went through the Red Sea. And I was again, as I was studying, I was thinking, Pharaoh told them to get out of my land. Yes. And to take your flocks and your herds with you. Correct. Now this multi-million uh, number of men, women, and children, not counting the flocks and the herds, nor the... Uh, Multitudes, the mixed multitudes, were still camped within his borders. That's true, they were. Now this, to me, if I were Pharaoh, would be pretty disconcerting. Well, for one thing, he would probably be thinking, well, what if they turn back on me? Absolutely. The other thing is, if, if you take a look at it from Pharaoh's standpoint, he was just humiliated. And he was humiliated very badly. Now he's had a couple days to have the initial shock of losing his firstborn and the uprising of his people who were saying, get these people out of here. And the anger started to arise. The wanting to get revenge started to rise back up in him. So it's pretty normal for a person to act that way. When we read at this point, Yahweh had hardened his heart. Correct. And wanted him to go out. The thing that I want, really wanted to bring up here was that as they fled, he had a change of heart. And he says, what is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? Here he had lost, like you said, he had lost all of his slaves. And we're talking about manpower. Yes, absolutely. These men were building pyramids. They were building storehouses. They were farming. They were craftsmen. It really depleted the workforce of Egypt. Well, and it depleted a lot of their wealth. Because a lot of their wealth depended on them being able to do things while the uh, Israelites provided the food, provided all the building, provided all everything else. Well, and don't forget that the Israelites were told to ask or request other Egyptian neighbors to give them silver, gold, and uh, clothing, and that Yahweh had compelled the Egyptians to do so. So the Israelites left with their pockets full of precious stones and gold and silver uh, with enough materials to actually then... Uh, complete the tabernacle as well. Yes, it was, and it was probably just compensation for the times that they were in slavery. It really was. It was a payback. It was a payback. But it not only did Pharaoh then lose this mass workforce, but they also he also lost wealth. The people lost an enormous amount of wealth. Yes, this whole thing was a very serious blow to Egypt as a nation. And uh, Pharaoh was the highlight of it. And the purpose remains, if, you, if our audience can remember, there was two purposes beyond just releasing the Israelites from bondage. One was that his people, 
the Israelites would know that he was God. And the other was the purpose, really an evangelistic purpose, was that the Egyptians would know that he was God. And this is one of the things that we read in chapter 14 again in verse 4. It says, Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. That's amazing because it's all for the glory of God. And when people come against the one true God they have to realize that they're going to be defeated. There's no way around it. Uh, Our God will not be defeated. No, and neither will his people. And neither will his people. So as we see then then that uh, Pharaoh has taken his elite, his best chariots, his best... um, captains, uh, the best of all of his armies, and have now chasing the Israelites to recapture them and to bring them back. Um, I looked at both sides of this. If I were all the elite soldiers, or a captain of the elite, and I was chasing after the Israelites, my first thought is, there's over a million of them. That's a daunting task. Then the other side of the coin is that these people have been slaves all their lives. They aren't trained. So if they saw the Israelites coming after them armed for battle, would they capitulate? Yeah, I don't think so. I think the Egyptians knew their situation. I mean, they were raised with the Israelites. They knew that they were slaves. They knew that they were untrained. They knew how their skills outweighed the Israelites, I think they were looking for an easy and fast victory. Very possibly. Very possibly. We go on to verse 10, and it says, As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. So there was more than just the chariots and the horses. Oh, absolutely. And they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then they started grumbling. If you all, I'm sure all of you have read the book of Exodus, and we all are very aware of the grumbling of the people. And we usually stop and think that the grumbling happened after they left Egypt. Well, the grumbling started before they ever set foot out of Egypt. We read in verse 11, it says, Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Now, there were no graves in Egypt. That refers to the fact that there was no Israelites died in Egypt because of the plagues. Correct. So because there was no graves in Egypt, now you've taken us out here to die? So the grumbling began before the exodus really began. That's true. You know, it's kind of amazing to me, because if if they had been there, they saw Yahweh put the plagues on, on Egypt. They saw that he was delivering them at that time. They saw that they had the the freedom they they were not hit with the plagues 
they saw that Yahweh was looking after them, was pulling them out. Why would he do that and then let them die there? I mean, that's, I, I can't understand their not believing at well, that point. And that's not even, I mean, that's not even the, the tip of the iceberg. Correct. If you go on to the next verse, it says to them, Is not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have better been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So now they're saying, let us go back and be servants. Let us go back and to be bondage uh, to Egypt again. Yeah. And they haven't even set foot out of Egypt yet. That's true. Now, they were only thinking mortally. Even though Jehovah had shown them so much of his delivering power, they refused to believe. They, they refused to accept it. You know, I can understand Moshe standing before God and say, Oy vey! <laughs> These people that you gave me, you know, and then it starts so early. Yes, yes. And to know that he's going to have 40 years of it yet. Oh, boy, yes. That's got to be in a daunting situation. <laughs> then in verse 13 we read, But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And like it says in the complete Jewish Bible, just calm yourselves down. <laughs> you know, chill. Chill, exactly. You know, he was telling him. Moshe had faith. And there were some others that had faith too that said, don't worry, God's going to deliver you. That's why he brought you out here. You know? If he's done all the previous things for you, surely he hasn't left you to die in Egypt. Yeah, this is just going to be more signs and wonders. The thing I really like about this is, is, and we can apply this to our lives today, you know, the word is applicable to each one of us today. And you can study it academically, get a lot of head knowledge, but it doesn't mean anything unless you apply it to your life. Yes. Well, they say knowledge puffs up. Well, and people perish. And people. For lack of, my people perish for lack of knowledge. But he says, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Then the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Yes. Now, how true is that for us today? And when we run into a situation, are we keeping silent and trusting in the Lord? Or are we going back and complaining to our neighbors, to our fellow believers? Oh, pray for me because I'm in this situation. Well, and it's exciting. Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. That's to what me, it that's is. that's exciting. It is. Stand by and watch, watch what he's going to do. And it's too bad more of our parishioners, especially, don't give the people that message now. Well, unfortunately, that's, that's true. And I think that so many people have become uh, so 
focused on how they can accomplish something. Exactly. And how we can do it, how I can do it, that we don't stop and think how God can do it. Yes, it's, it's all I and me, everything, you know. And part of that's our upbringing. I was taught all the way through my life that you can do it. Get out there and try. Depend on yourself. You can accomplish it. But when you're taught that, it's hard to say, even to God, well, I can't do it. Now I've got to depend on you. I've got to get rid of all these years of wrong thinking and say, yes, but God. That's that's really difficult. Really difficult. And then we go on to see, and I kind of think that maybe Moshe was glitching a little bit to God. Because it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Yes. You know, I haven't even started this. We haven't even left the land. And already the people that you have given me are complaining. Yep. You know, that that would be daunting to know that you're going to take this many people to you don't know where yet. That's true. And they're already complaining. That's true. And it, you've got to think of it, too. It's one man standing up against how many million? You counted the Israelites, but then he's got all the mixed multitudes with him. So Well, and we only, we only counted the men that were 20 years of age. That's right. And we supposed that they had one wife and two children. Now, in the land of Israel, you were, you were great by the number of children you had. Correct. So I'm sure there was more than that. And that was 1,800,000, just in that figure. Yes. So here's this huge multiple multitude. And then he turns right around and he tells them, Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Get over it. Step out in faith and move forward. That's what it takes. And that's what we have to do in our lives. When we run into a situation, realize that God is on our side, get over it, and step forward. Take that step, even though it looks daunting. Absolutely. And we know the story. We know that the wind blew, the sea parted. Well, Moshe held his staff up. The wind blew, the sea parted. The Israelites went through the mixed multitude, the, all their flocks and their herds went through. Moshe took the sword, his, his staff down. And it says that at that time, that the glory of God broke through the smoke and the cloud. And it frightened and confused the Egyptians and their horses. Oh yes, it, was, it kept them at bay for quite a while. But one other interesting point is you were saying that the sea parted right away. Well, the sea didn't part until somebody took that first step yes. into the water. Somebody Ron had to take that step. Somebody had to take that first step and, and have his faith. That's just like us today. That's just like us today. God says, are you willing? Yes. Show me. And then I'll be there. Right. And at the end of it all, when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant, Moses. That's 
what it is. You start to trust in the people that God has given you. And it took another action. They believed enough to leave, but now it took another act of God to get them on their way. Yes, it did. Join us next time as we continue our study of the book of Exodus. Thank you for listening to us today. And I just wanted to let our listeners know that beginning next week that we will be having a guest teacher, Pastor Bruce Dowell, who will be bringing us an amazing study on Romans chapter 8 on the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us today as we delved into the beautiful truths of God's Word to indeed discover that there has to be more. I pray that the Word applied to your daily life will bring a deeper understanding of His love letter written just to you. Let me remind you that we have additional study aids to assist you with our studies together on our website, sectim.org. May this day fill you with the love of God, joy, and shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken in your life.